Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What say you, Richard Ellett Murdoch? Are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay. And the whole point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. Welcome to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch Murders Money and Mystery. We are here at our CIV studio with our exclusive legal analyst, Charlie Condon, the former South Carolina Attorney General. We're also here with Drew Tripp, our executive producer. Max Harrison is behind the scenes. He is running the boards and keeping our production together. Um, we have this opportunity today to talk about uh, an, an interview that we did with the three deputies from the Carlton County Sheriff's Office, uh, Captain Jason Chapman, Detective Laura Rutland, and now Detective Daniel Green uh, sat down with myself, uh, Tara Jabor, and uh, Sam Griswold, who's our photojournalist, and uh, Drew Tripp was there as well. It was so enlightening. It was so candid. We have been able to play back some of this uh, long interview we did. They sat down with us for nearly two hours. Wow. Uh, Charlie wasn't with us, but this is our opportunity to share some of these clips because I think from for me, what was so candid and frank about this conversation, besides the fact we have not heard from these detectives and this captain in this in this way, they came after hours, off the clock, in their street clothes, to a cafe in Walterboro to sit down and really explain to us what not only happened you know, as they approached the, the double murder scene and had to digest all that was happening there. But what has transpired over the last two years? Absolutely fascinating. And Drew, you were able to, to, to be a part of that. And this just happened two, two nights ago. It, so. was, it was terrific. Uh, I, the insight we got in the questions we got answered, the lingering questions that I feel like we got answered. You know, we just sat down a week ago and did an update uh, on on the trial and tried to address some of those lingering unanswered questions. And so much of that was centered around law enforcement. And and the, the big one, the, the, the defense made such a big deal, the Murdoch's defense lawyers made such a big deal about trying to impugn and 
criticize the the way the investigation was handled by local law enforcement, the Colleton County Sheriff's Office, and also by SLED, the state state police agency. And it, immediately after the fact, okay, the, the burning questions for me is like, what's legitimate, what's not legitimate? Because you know that there's going to be there's going to be some hyperbole, right, with with the defense, and they're going to frame things in a certain way to make their case look a little bit better. And you you want to hear from law enforcement about, okay, what in there do you take seriously, and what was that hyperbole? And we were we didn't initially get the chance to get any reaction to that from SLED, but the Colleton County Sheriff's Office, they can give us that same, nearly the same level of insight because they were, we learned this week, they're intimately involved. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't just with the initial investigation when they say they turned it over to SLED, they were still involved. And they really went blow by blow and logically took apart some of the criticisms and, and things that we heard through this trial. And it was just terrific. Uh, again, uh, the, and you're gonna hear some of that now. It's really, really enlightening and we can't wait to share it with you. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, um, I kind of want to get into it. But first, Charlie, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. We're My certainly pleasure. going to be hoping to, to bring you more exclusive to be announced um, interviews that we're going to be doing as we go through post-trial right now. But of course, there's so much more that we can that we can talk about. Once again, the Colleton County Sheriff's Office, we're gonna go ahead and play one of the first clips. And if y'all are watching this on streaming, you'll be able to watch this video as well. Right now, you'll be hearing it in the audio for the podcast. Never seen this guy before. I didn't remember ever seeing him on the news or anything like that, even with the whole boat crash thing. Like, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to that news story, so it's not like I remembered him from that. Um, but as soon as he mentioned the boat crash theory to me, it clicked. Okay, that's who this is. That's this family. That was a detective, now detective, Daniel Green. He was the first responding officer on the scene, the first person to walk up to Alec Murdoch to see what was happening at this crime scene, um, to see the bodies of Paul and Maggie. Um, that was the body cam that we, we obviously heard so much about. But, you know, initially he said he really didn't know where he was. Uh, he knew that he was on Moselle uh, on the road. He knew the address, but he really didn't know who Alec was. Mm -hmm. Did it ring a bell with him once he heard about the boat crash, or it still was sort of vague to him? That's what he was saying. Mm -hmm. He was saying he it, he was starting to remember some of the mm -hmm. details about this mm -hmm. boat crash and what um, what had transpired. Mm -hmm. But as far as um, it's extraordinary, actually, because I think it was within what ten or eleven seconds of that body camera rolling and him coming up onto Alec Murdoch, uh, Alec immediately mentions. Yes, yes, and that, I thought that really hurt uh, the defendant by bringing up such a motivation for the murder so early on because it tied in nicely to the defense's theory of why he committed these murders relative to the motive evidence but uh fat, fat by, by the way congratulations on getting these officers together uh, that uh is an amazing uh bit of journalism there because i think when you have folks together like that the information you can get is is uh, insightful and I think they were feeding it on e mm -hmm. uh, off of each other mm -hmm. as well, um, remembering details. And then the other one would be able to pick it up, too. Uh, I definitely got the impression that these uh, detectives and Captain Chapman had spent an inordinate amount of time 
working uh, through these details and mm-hmm. remembering mm-hmm. through watching that body cam. Right. And right. Did you have the feeling from them that they were a little bit, uh, I shouldn't use this word, probably a bit too strong, smarting from the criticism of law enforcement investigation, or were they kind of past that and felt comfortable talking about it? They, they were, were perturbed. Def- yeah. They, oh, they were. That, that, was mm-hmm. the, that was the, I think, the again, that was the whole impetus for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they made that point clear. Sled's not going to talk. Mm-hmm. Sled's not allowed to talk. But we're here to be candid and frank with you. And they made clear also, like, hey, Sled has a field office in Baltimore. We know these people. We work with these people. I see. I and see. there are certain things that, yeah. and we're so grateful to them that they've been given, Captain mm-hmm. Jason Chapman, uh, Sheriff Buddy Hill, mm-hmm. they were given leeway to come and explain to us and say to us and give us the insight that we're not going to get anywhere else and that law enforcement perspective of what's legitimate and what's not um but they were certainly perturbed they were Mm -hmm. they they were Mm -hmm. aggravated it wasn't they know the deal they know the game they've been they've been on the stand i i've they've all done this before they know it's not personal right but that that's such a such a odd thing growing up the longer you work the longer your career is well it's not personal it's just a job Mm -hmm. but it's hard for it not to be personal right when you put the the amount of time and friends that probably ask some questions did you did you have the uh, feeling it sounds like the attorney general's office decided in the presentation of their case and direct examination and redirect or cross-examination that some of these details in explaining law enforcement conduct they just didn't want to get into it because they i guess they felt like it didn't hurt them in the presentation of their case, because what I'm hearing from you all, we'll talk about this mm. more fully, that there are a number of, of explanations as to why things weren't done, the booties and the fingerprints were collected. Uh, the fact that the state did not present that in their case for explanation. Is it a trial strategy that they thought, well, there's no sense spending time on that because it's not really hurting us? Or, or what do you think the reasoning would be as to why this information is, is now being presented? Well, I think that this information, there was, it was, well, first of all, such a complex case. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was my, my impression that was a little bit of, we need to pick our battles. Uh We need to figure out exactly where we need to go with this stuff. And, And like you said, if it's going to hurt the case, then absolutely we need to spend more time on it. But, but just talking to them, there were a million little details that would not have made it would never made it to the stand mm-hmm. or as evidence mm-hmm. um but cleared it up for me i see yeah, and it's hard to argue with three-hour jury verdict after a six-week trial right i mean it's really hard to argue with that so the strategy obviously was uh, an appropriate one well and 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 Absolutely, I think, you know, with all fingers and toes crossed as mm-hmm. well, like when you start making those decisions, that must be really hard as a prosecutor. It is. You've got a, on both sides. I'm sure I'm sure the defense looking back, there are lots of decisions they might have done differently in hindsight, and the same thing on the state. And one thing that I've often thought about uh, during, during, during just thinking about court in general, people often talk about how, how defendants are not represented adequately or there's a bad result because of the attorney not doing x y and z well likewise for the state i can't think of the number of cases that i've seen that have been poorly prosecuted and if they'd been prosecuted differently that person would have been found guilty and so it works both ways we have an adversarial system we do have uh, you know it's a human system so mistakes are made 
But I think overall, it's, you know, it's the best in the world. And, you know, if you can point me to one that's better, uh, I'm all ears. But I think it does work well, given the, the human frailties that exist in our life. For sure. You want to play another clip for us? I mentioned before, it's called either stop sign or, or red light emotions. And what I mean by that is you can't, if you're truly upset, you can't stop it like that and change direction. And he was upset talking to Daniel and just doing the crying, doing the emotion, heavy breathing, and he stops. And he says, how are you doing, sir? You can't do that. Well, this was an opportunity, this was Captain Jason Chapman really giving us an opportunity to hear what they were thinking as not only they were replaying the body cam or the interviews, that sort of thing, but also uh, sort of what they were seeing on, on the spot. And, I mean, we got a very candid response from Jason Chapman about that, didn't we, Drew? We certainly did. Um, I would say we were there over two hours mm -hmm. uh, speaking to them. And I would say it was probably 15, 20 minutes. Uh, it felt like at least uh, it, all sorts of topics, but the really, really honing in on from not just Chapman, but Laura Rutland as well, is honing in on Alex's demeanor and his body language and the these visual signals and cues he was giving off. And not just the, from the night of the murders, but all the way up until he was on the stand. and. It was just the way the way Chapman described it was a conglomerate. It wasn't just one thing that was off. One thing being off doesn't mean anything. Two things being off doesn't mean anything. But it's just, just like the circumstantial evidence case that we got here when you put them all together. Yeah. Uh -huh. Did did you, did you get the impression from them that they viewed him more as a suspect or a surviving victim that night? Well, that was interesting. Or a combination. That was interesting. Chapman told us um, he was one of the first ones to say, hey, we shouldn't rule this guy out mm -hmm. just because of what he was observing. Mm -hmm. But and he said he it, it, that was initially met from his peers a little bit, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you, are you sure you want to go there? Uh, like, right. because not, not from, not from any, Deference, or uh, what would you what you call it, or any mm -hmm. favoritism to Murdoch, right. but mm -hmm. just again going back to the whole overarching theme of how absurd and bizarre was this case? Yeah, yeah. Like that a that a yeah. husband and father would do this. Yeah. But initially, Chapman says he was one of the only ones that was kind of reading that body language, taking that 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 broad picture of inconsistencies and and things that weren't right. Mm -hmm and reading into it. And he said within about 72 hours, mm -hmm. he wasn't the only one because they had the it luxury. Changed. Yeah, he had After the luxury the of going back yeah, and yeah, yeah. seeing the videos. Yeah, yeah. And did you have the, the impression from him it, that those that, that thought he was more of a victim, and this sounds harsh, but I think the reality is that husbands do kill wives, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that does happen with the, with the unfortunately, in, in, in life. But did you have the feeling that the killing of the son made it like, hey, he really couldn't have done this type thinking? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and but, uh, do we have that soundbite? I, I, I believe we do. If we do, uh, Ann, can you check? But there's a really great one from um, Laura Rutland mm -hmm. where she's talking about looking into his body language. Mm -hmm. And 
it was, it meant so much in the aftermath of how Alec was fixated on Paul. Uh Alec was fixated on Paul and was just constantly looking at him, but he wouldn't look at Maggie. And and your tonight's plug for our, our live uh, news or our upcoming broadcast. Anne's going to go into this tonight uh, with more from from this interview. Uh, but it, it, in a word, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was only after the fact where again they t- talk into this body language, what he was doing, what he wasn't doing, that kind of opened eyes. Well, and who he was fixated on. Mm-hmm. Who that was a big part of what they talked to us about as well was. Their job is to observe, right? So they're they're not, as Jason said, you know, in the interview, Captain Chapman was like, "We're not creating evidence. We're not. Uh, we're we're gathering evidence, and we are absorbing what we're seeing around us. Um, but we're not creating anything. So what's there is there, and what's not there is is also a huge part of it. And we heard that echoed in the prosecution's opening statements, even. And I think what was not there was some of the emotion that they were expecting to see from somebody like that. And at one point, Jason said, you know, I felt like, you know, they they don't, um, one of the things is, you know, he doesn't take it personally. They never do. But after a while, when these guys are sitting at this crime scene and they're looking at all of this, you know, they're wandering around and they're picking up the you know, the the tarp and, and examining these bodies, these victims, these gruesome murders, usually the person who was there found them, that sort of thing, are, get they get very angry at the officers. Oh. They get very angry. They want to know, um, why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you going out and finding the killers? Why aren't you this? Why aren't you that? And that just never happened. Hmm. And I think that was one of the big hmm. clues to Chapman. We may have that clip as well. But let's listen to some more clips so we can see exactly what we have. Last thing that was the nail in the coffin for me on scene was that he never got angry. And people say, well, why would that make you upset? Hmm. But they always do. We don't take it to heart. We don't get offended. But if we had been out there and it was legitimate, at some point in time, he should have reached a peak moment where he said, why do y'all keep asking me the same questions? Why are you not out there trying to find the killers? Why are you sitting here taking pictures of dirt? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing your job? Um, never, never, not even up until he got convicted, he never, hmm. ever, ever showed that anger. Oh. And they, everyone does. They always do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of makes sense. Uh, you know, if if he, they'd been slaughtered by somebody. An hour before, right? But they would be in a relative vicinity of, of Colleton County. And why aren't there roadblocks? Why aren't you out there finding them? It makes sense from a law enforcement perspective. I hadn't thought about that, but very insightful. You know, a, a, a thing that came to my mind thinking about that, that clip about him not getting angry, a perfect example of it, think back, and I would imagine most everyone here has followed this case enough that you've probably heard it, but if you haven't, there's a 911 call from Gloria Satterfield's death when 2018, and she had the whatever happened, the accident at Murdoch's home. Mm-hmm. She's fallen. She's badly injured. Paul Murdoch is on the phone, and EMS is asking Paul all these questions, and he's like, "Man, why are y'all asking me all these questions? Can y'all hurry up? She's hurt." Mm-hmm. 
That's what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And they have to explain to him, Paul, we're on the way. Right. Us asking you this question, these questions doesn't uh, doesn't change anything. But that's the that's what he's talking about. That 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 legitimate, like, I, I'm telling you what's happening here. Hurry up, do something. And 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 that all even goes back to the point they made about Buster, and right right there in the closing arguments, forty minutes, forty minutes after the murders, he finally thinks thinks about Buster and getting him to safety and all, uh, all that. Uh, it, it, I felt like John Metters did hone in on exactly what Captain Chapman said in that, that um, they must have, you know, it, will, it'd be, it would be fascinating to hear um, if that's how this all went down with Captain Chapman, because I, I do know that they spent a long time prepping with the prosecution. Oh, is that team. right? So Did they spend hours and hours with the prosecutor? Was that down in Columbia or in Walterboro? Uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure where they did mm -hmm. that, but they uh, they sat down with him quite a bit. They said they spent a lot, of, a lot time, of time, a lot of time talking to him, and I felt like I heard that when Metters was doing his his. Uh, yeah, I did have the feeling they final. knew each other well. Uh, I did. Funny yeah. you say that because oftentimes, and just the nature of the beast, when you're prosecuting cases, you just don't have time to put in like you'd like to for, if not many, probably most cases. Mm -hmm. And the ones that, that you can put in time, it, it sort of shows because there, there's a chemistry. And I felt like that, that, that case had chemistry for the state. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I feel like they did slide in a lot of this information into onto the stand mm -hmm. when they could. Mm -hmm. But you could see how just what we just heard from Captain Chapman, how that really needed to be something that they... Uh, that they had a they had a matters they had a prosecutor matters do at the very very end where he was allowed to just kind of talk mm -hmm. and do the statement mm -hmm. because it would be hard right to mm -hmm. to allow these witnesses to get up on the stand and say anything but the facts, ma'am. Speculation, you know. right? There would be an objection typically that would be sustained when they this sort of thing, which is really interesting. But it would be hard to see how it would be admissible. Like, hey, he should have been angry. What he it gets to some speculation there. So. You, probably could have tried to slip it in, but I think they were wise not to. Yeah, I think so too. Um, let's let's play another one because we do have a couple. Of, I wanted to get as much as we could so yeah, we could show, give you a... I think it's odd. <laughs> no. no. You know why? It's, it's a staged crime scene. You hear over and over and over again just the bombardment that the AG didn't have any evidence. It was all circumstantial, and it was primarily circumstantial evidence. But I ask you this, if, which we, Alex killed his wife and Alex killed his son, and Alex did the best job that Alex could do in the amount of time he had to remove all evidence that would link him to that crime scene. Should we have found a bunch of evidence there? No, it's a it's a cleaned scene. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. 
as an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. What he's talking wow. about there. Yeah. What he's talking about there, um, the, the first question he was responding to, where he said, no, uh, should we, have, should we, have, he's talking about the guns, mm-hmm. the guns theory. And I so badly wanted to ask, uh, ask a follow-up on this and I forgot to do it uh, and I'll get to that in a second. But the, 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 what we're getting at there is all this criticism about they didn't find this and they didn't find that and they didn't do, they didn't, they didn't take care of the crime scene as well as they should have. Their point is, and I'm going to acknowledge this to you, Charlie, when we're going going back weeks now when we're talking about this case, and I'm responding to what I'm hearing in, in the trial about, okay, well, this, this sounds bad for SLED, this sounds bad for SLED, but at the same time, I'm like, but for these investigators, they don't have any of the evidence they mm-hmm. have. And Chapman really brings it home there, yeah, and he even said this to us, to us again. Yeah, there's every every case they work is a learning opportunity. You 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 do things better, but they're honing in on these mistakes. What about all the things they got right? And oh, by the way, the things they got right, in spite of Alex's efforts to throw them off the trail and keep mm-hmm. them from finding. Like he he very cleverly, that was their point. Alec cleaned up the crime scene and pretty. Had a pretty good alibi yeah. starting off, right? I mean, he wasn't there, right? He was at his mother's house. Yeah. His ailing and his and father an went alibi, to the hospital. It, it, it had a lot of... We never talked about this, but wasn't somewhere that we heard that he had an ironclad alibi, or did I oh, write no, no, that no, in no, the no. script? I went back, because I, I remember I didn't follow this as closely as, as, as y'all did, but I do remember, like, there was this information out there, I presume from the defense, that, yeah, he had a solid alibi they put the notice of alibi in and mm-hmm. said we weren't there and it, it and on the face of it, it until you were able to as we as we saw after weeks of testimony on this very point mm-hmm. you were able to show that it really wasn't an alibi he, he could have done it quite easily in fact did do it quite you know as, as, as they prove uh, before i forget that actually i need to to see if if they brought this up did they talk at all about the you know, one of the criticisms that's out there is, well, they should have gone into the home and preserved that, and also gone to Almeida. They'd get into that at all as to why there was uh, pretty much a free-for-all in, in, in the main house that night? No, they they did not. I, I feel like we, they did talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit, but as far as trying to justify it or defend yeah. it or explain it, yeah. by that point, it was Sled's case. I see. And so they, they, were, they, 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 they were subservient to decision-making. There was a, definitely a mm-hmm. line in the sand mm-hmm. where they had to say, we are now assisting SLED. Laura Rutland, who knows absolutely zero about the Moselle or the Murdochs, um, she is going to be our liaison because she is the only one that has absolutely no knowledge or connection to the Murdochs. Oh, is that right? I did. I thought Sheriff Hill made up just a commendable decision that very night to call on SLED and to recuse himself. I mean, I mean it, it, was, it showed some, it, some courage there and some leadership. It was like one of the first conversations, it was the first conversation that, that Chapman had with Sheriff mm-hmm. Hill. He actually went through that conversation with us and said, you know, he heard it come across 
basically as Daniel Green is driving there, he's get, he's hearing what dispatch is saying and he's literally putting on his clothes and his coat or mm -hmm. whatever and headed out the door. And that's when uh, Sheriff Buddy Hill calls and is like, hey, do you know where you're going? Do you realize who this is? And they're like, dispatch is saying this is Alec Murdoch. Yeah, and yeah, so he knows pretty quickly. Yeah, right. we're gonna have to. And I'm sure bring your typical right investigator would like a juicy case like that. I mean, I hate to put it that way because right. it's horrible that what happened, but they typically want to investigate these major cases. So I thought it was um, really commendable that he did that, and you know, it's it was just a real credit to to Sheriff Hill. And the, the other part to that is they told us up front, and not that we would ask them to do this, but they told us up front, like, listen. We're not gonna. We're not gonna talk about sled. We're not gonna talk about what sled did. We're mm -hmm. not sled. We're not, and mm -hmm. uh, we're also not gonna criticize what another law enforcement agency did because there is so much. There's context mm -hmm. that we can't give you, and that it's up to them to give you. And, and it, it's a. It becomes a. It becomes an issue of. Uh, you want to say. Uh, Professional courtesy is a little bit of a, a underrepresentation of what, what I'm trying to get get there, but it, it's professionalism in general. I see. Because they're not they're not going to get in there and tell us everything that sled did wrong or speculate yeah. about what. But sled they did give you done. some explanations for some mm -hmm. things, didn't they? they for did. example, I don't know if we need to talk about yeah, that yeah, now, absolutely. but I thought the booty was. Uh, tell me about that. I thought that was yeah. We some can news there. a few of those. Well, the 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 booty being the first one, uh, they they talked about how oh. Or the defense brought in expert uh, Ken Zersi, I believe it was a crime scene expert from mm -hmm. uh, a university, and he's. If you're going into that feed room, and documenting evidence, they should have been wearing booties. They should have been uh, like the the cloth cover, uh, not cloth, but um, the protective well, shoe covering. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, the, you 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 all know the f material we're talking about. They're they're, they're almost like. Paper. Uh, yeah, paper-type material. And Chapman's point was, okay, think about what is all over that crime scene. Outside of it, where, where are we going to put the booties on? We have to put the booties on outside of the crime scene. What's outside of the crime scene? Or not outside of the feed, not outside of the crime scene, excuse me. We have to put the booties on outside of the feed room. Mm -hmm. What's outside of the feed room? Water and blood. Everywhere. The moment you put those booties on and start stepping, you're going to be stepping in more water and blood. The paper's going to absorb it, and then you're going to track it all in the feed room. Interesting. So what's, what's less likely to contaminate and smear and uh, degrade the crime scene I, but a rubber-soled shoe? Makes sense to me. Um, uh, what did they say about the fingerprints? The, oh, yeah, that was interesting, They actually. said that they did look for fingerprints, mm -hmm. and, and they even pointed out how the, there's uh, one of the accepted ways to search for fingerprints as alternative light sources. Mm -hmm. And they said they did, mm -hmm. and they didn't find anything. Wow. It, it, but you can't photograph a flashlight going on and off. You and, can't uh -huh. photograph. And that was the sheriff's office that did that, or mm -hmm. was that SLED? That was the sheriff's office. Initially, when they yes. got there. So they were looking for all of these fingerprints, mm -hmm. but they're not going to I be see. able to show uh -huh. us in evidence I see that they did that. At that stage, trial. were they working under SLED's direction, or were they on their own at that point? They were assisting. Yeah. They were assisting SLED but assisting. by that point, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were... I, from that, that's standard protocol. Like they, they're they were there in an, in, mm -hmm. in a support role. Mm -hmm. They turned it over and they were there in a support mm -hmm. role, but, and they needed to be there. And while until Sled's crime scene got mm -hmm. there, which we heard was hours later, I feel like mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. But
But that's a great, uh, you know, that's a great example, Charlie, of what you were just talking about of what picking your battles and what do you actually bring into the trial? Because to me, that was actually pretty important. Like, well, where are the fingerprints? Why didn't you look for them? That bothered me to some degree, just from a layman's perspective. But as a prosecutor, what do you supposed to do when yeah. you hear, yeah, oh, yeah, we checked. We did that alternative light source. You're not going to see yeah. We can't photograph yeah. that for you. You know, I remember that day, uh, what they might have been thinking, they might not have brought it up in their case in chief, and who knows, there was so much information, maybe they just simply forgot, or maybe they didn't think it was important. But in rebuttal, I suppose they could have, but I thought the witnesses they had in rebuttal that day were so powerful. I mean, each one after, one after the other. They might have thought this was good, but not, didn't meet that, that, that standard that they had, because I remember that day, I, I just thought the case was just, really solidified by their choice of what everyone was, I thought, just a, just a killer witness for the state. So maybe that was the thinking. That makes sense. Well, you, should we play another clip? We probably have time for a couple more. I've got some more points, of course. Really uncomfortable not making him a part of the scene. Um, not that he was the shooter at the time or not that he, you know, was the only shooter at the time, but really, really, really hard for me with everything I had absorbed up to that point excluding him from being involved. Well, and of course that's uh, wow. him is Alec Murdoch and wow. that's Captain Chapman saying, you know, everything he was seeing and he made it very clear wow. like. Yeah, he had him as, well, David Owens testified he had him in the circle from day one, of course, but it sounds like he had him in the middle of the circle. Yeah, I mean, he said that every time, he, it was the demeanor. He kept on going back to the demeanor and the the body language that he was really, really studying. All three of them talked about it. They all three talked about that body language were, were things that they just couldn't get past. Like the fact that he, um, this, this ability to turn on and off the motions like this. Um, that he mm -hmm. always seemed to be kind of looking off. Yeah, he did that. Remember we testified to on his direct examination and cross-examination? I felt that about him, too. And also, as I sat behind him, a couple rows behind him during the trial, I, I, uh, you could sort of sense there was a... You had to say it's acting, because who knows what's going through someone's head, really. But looking back, I, I, I can appreciate what he's saying, because it did seem like there was a off-and-on switch there. Mm-hmm that most people don't have. It's more of a continuum, but his was definitely off and on. Well, and and Laura Rutland made this extraordinary comment that it was Paul, while he was describing what he was seeing and what he was doing through this experience, was it that he, um, speculating sort of, was this the, the trauma of seeing Paul? Right. Or was he now traumatized by what he had done to Paul? Mm-hmm. And it was also the idea that he was looking off as he was telling them because he was retelling a story that he was comfortable with. This is the way they described it. Not but when they would ask him a question that was off the cuff or off off his script, he would either he would he would turn his head or look the other way. And they mm -hmm. said his body language kept on telling. Mm -hmm. Did they have many conversations else. with him that weren't on body cam? You know, you can cut those things Chapman off. Chapman did. Really, Chapman they cut did. the body cam off and talked? Yes, what and you say? that was, we talked yeah. about that like two days ago. That was mm -hmm. one of the first things that we put on the air, mm -hmm. and we can, um, we have a, we, we will have a link to that mm -hmm. um, in some of these stories. But go mm -hmm. ahead, Drew, tell them about that. Yeah, uh, so the, the part that we got from Chapman that didn't happen in front of a camera, he was questioning Murdoch. And Murdoch told him the story about Paul's phone. 
And Chapman says Murdoch told him that he removed Paul's phone from Paul's pocket. Hmm. It didn't fall out. Hmm. And not only that, he picked it up and said he was, Chapman says this, um, he, he can he, said, he gives it better credit. He said, Alec told him, I, I was I was looking at his phone, I was looking for Evan, and he stopped himself. What? And then, he, and, and then I realized I shouldn't do that, and I put it back down. And that story changed. That story changed when he got in the car with David Owen and Laura Rutland. Um, and I, Max, I believe we have Laura Rutland's uh, 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 comment from Laura Rutland. More talking about just this in general, but all just that, the, the changing stories, the not making eye contact, the on and off emotions. It, it, again, that's what we got to in the very beginning, the whole picture. Hmm. You want to play that? You know, when he was describing Paul and breaking down, I initially thought this was genuine emotion and genuine, genuine trauma. Of course, now I know, yeah, he was traumatized, but not by what he had found. He was traumatized <laughs> of what he had done. What an honest answer. That's such an honest answer, isn't it? That she was tricked, basically. Uh, but who wouldn't be? That's yeah. the one thing I think it's really maybe hard for some to appreciate. But, you know, having, I, I didn't know him, but knew the family. And so the thinking of, and had otherwise, you know, the boat crash, I think sort of sort of digging the reputation, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. But just generally speaking, they'd enjoyed a good one, wouldn't you say, just generally speaking, in Colleton, Hampton County, that part of the state? Yeah. And so, you know, when you go to something like this from a law enforcement standpoint, Naturally, I think the 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 uh, emotion would be like, "Hey, the man just lost his wife and son to these horrible killers. Mm -hmm. We need to be sensitive to where we are with this." Absolutely. And it's I think it's completely understandable. So those that that kind of just jump on like, "Well, they should have locked down the whole place," and I'm not saying that in hindsight they shouldn't have, and I'm not saying that maybe at that time they, they in fact should have, but I think it's completely understandable completely understandable to, to be cognizant of the possibility that he, in fact, could be a surviving victim. That's all I'm saying. Well, and this, this leads us um, to um, another point that's very, very important is, um, of course, the state needed or felt they could set up a strong motive with these financial crimes mm -hmm. of distracting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, none from, of that was public, right? In other words, we all now know about that. But at the exactly. time, he was not accused of stealing. We didn't know yeah, about the drug know, use. They didn't know anything about that. We this. did have the, the civil boat crash, but that was it. Yeah, that that all of that financial crime came in afterwards, mm -hmm. and that was mm -hmm. extraordinary. But the um, but they had a different take on whether or not this was totally uh, premeditated. Because we asked oh, them about yeah. that. And it's something that I go into with my story. The state needed this motive, right? The, the officers on the scene, as they looked at this evidence, what they knew about what had happened, the two guns, um, the brutality of the murders, they were not convinced that this was uh, premeditated at all. That it was that planned is basically the More way More of a Laura's spur of the moment uh, type it was, um, he kind of got into it, something happened. The way Laura describes it is that she saw that things were snowballing. The storm that was approaching, as the prosecutor said, all of that is true. All of that makes sense. But, but something happened at the end of that day. 
You know, that funny. Made him you know, snap. it's interesting you, you point that out because I thought John Meadows brilliantly handled that in his closing argument. We think this is the motivation; these financial crimes. But who? Remember how he said in his closing? Who knows? You could have just snapped. We don't have to prove motive. So, regardless, he did it. And I thought that was a, maybe a good way to present that to 12 jurors that, that, that worked. Yeah, you don't have to tie that mm -hmm. so Specific, You don't have to believe the, our motive theory to convict him of murder. He could have just, I think he said something like, he could have just snapped, he could have been angry. But the malice of forethought only had to be at the, at the moment of the act or, or, or instantaneous with that. I thought he was brilliant in the way of not forcing them to agree to the, to the motive theory in order to bring back a verdict. Well, and Chapman really, um, you know, the reason we got off on this as well um, during the interview when we were talking about it was that we were talking about mm -hmm. the guns. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you had two guns. Didn't you wonder, weren't you wondering? Wasn't that weird? Like, how did the two guns? And he's like, everybody got stuck on these two guns. But when you live out in the country, right, right. Drew, you're, you got a, what did he say? You got one for snakes? In case somebody gets into the feeds, you yeah. got to have a gun for the snakes. Right. Yeah. I mean, right? Gun for the hogs. Right. We've all gone through that. The hogs. So. Yeah. I mean, we have definitely heard about how wild it was out mm -hmm. there. And a lot of weapons. He was like, we didn't. He didn't have to have two two guns slung to his back, and he's, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. some kind of Rambo style yeah. going yeah. through this. And I thought I heard from somebody too that Paul's. Correct me if I'm wrong, but his his truck was in the shop. And the thinking was that he actually took the weapons out and had them by the feed room or something. This could have been readily available. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't heard that. Yep, and also that, that Alec used the golf cart, and there was always, if they were riding around, they would have a mm -hmm. weapon. Even on that golf, right. even on that golf cart, it, it was, it was so much. Um, so there was so much room for reasonable options there of, how, uh, uh, right. of how the guns could have ended up right there without him coming up tactically uh, just uh, surprising them out of nowhere with uh, a, a rifle slung over his back and a shotgun in his hand. Um, it wasn't that planned out, Yeah, basically. that's that's their idea. That the guns were there, the, the ability to do it was there, and this somehow sort of fell together. Yeah. Makes sense. Could have been that way. And we've we've heard this before. But what what if and not to not to uh, throw any more heat on Bubba because uh, Lord knows that dog's gotten enough. But um, and Bubba's living with the uh, housekeeper, right? Did I Blanca, read that somewhere? With yeah. Blanca, he lives with her. Wow. But what, um, a, what a symmetry again to this case. What what if it what if what if the what if the final straw was that dog killing the chicken? What, mm -hmm. if it, what if it was as simple as that? Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a little bit too reductive, but that, that's kind of the point that, that, again, they're trying to make is... But it's the confluence no. of events, right? Yeah. It yeah, could have been so at true. the very end, yeah. just somebody said something wrong to him, and somebody was, some remark didn't settle well with him after a bad day. Well, if he's strung out on the opiates, right, and has the paranoia feelings, and as Judge Newman said so eloquently, that he might have been a different person then, yeah. still responsible. Well, and to put the, the the pills in the pocket, remember when he said, oh, I had pills in the mm -hmm. pocket while I was talking to Daniel Green. Wow. So of course we asked him, Daniel Green, did you see pills in the pocket? Um, he was like, well, I, did. I, was, I was tapping him down, but I didn't, you know, nothing obviously was like, you know, mm -hmm. rattling in his pockets. Mm -hmm. but, but Laura actually pointed out, Laura Rutland pointed out, watch him take his phone out of the, um, out of his pocket when he was in the car for the sled interviews, it was it was just a phone in there. Ah. Is what she was saying to ah. us. So 
there was so much there and i wish we could just talk to you all afternoon about it but we're gonna have to um probably break this up a little bit i have a feeling that we are going to be revisiting uh these interviews and we will have the opportunity to we don't want to tell everyone quite yet what's to come because we do have some uh, very interesting guests coming up um uh for our podcast also um coming up in the next couple of weeks so i really hope everybody stays with us this was just a um an a, a great opportunity to just sit down with you charlie and just let you hear a little bit what we were hearing oh yeah and i want to can i plug my judge yes, newman please. fan club coffee mug that yes katie salt the terrific anchor here so kindly gave me there's going to be more available for those that are interested but they're very handsome it's got a wonderful picture of judge newman and it says what else could it say other than bring the jury <laughs> so anyone interested let us know and we're gonna order i think hundreds more so <laughs> i think let you, us know. Do, you are going to need hundreds more so it says judge newman fan club for our listeners out there that can't that don't get the the privilege of our our audio our video clips it says bring it says judge newman fan club it's got a fantastic picture of um of Newman and then underneath it says bring the jury which will probably ring in my ears for years to come. I'd Same like here. A, I'd like a personalized one when he says sit down Mr. Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> he had a couple of really good moments in there that is absolutely uh, right. We'll, we'll, we'll send that to Jim. No. I, well I appreciate your time today oh, and my we, pleasure. Will, um, we will be back very soon actually uh, you will see us again next week with more on post-trial of the Murdochs. Mm -hmm.